people. You can't really just say that because somebody is white, they're automatically going to vote Republican, right? And if you go into the set with that mindset, you're going to run your campaign like that and you will limit who you will be reaching out to. Hey guys, what's good? Welcome to the Cosign Life. If you're watching this video, that means you co-sign us and we co-sign you. So here are a couple of ways to support us at Cosign Magazine. Number one, view the description below, click the link and purchase an issue of Cosign Magazine. It's like this, this one right here, physical. You can purchase this. Number two, you can also support us by purchasing Cosign merch. Hit the link below and it'll take you to all our past merch items and we'd love to have your support and see you wear Cosign Magazine. episode of the Cosign Conversations podcast. Today, we're talking politics. We have Eero Mayor, congressional candidate for District 4, here with us today. And then, of course, I had to tap in editor-in-chief of Cosign Magazine, Chris. He is our political advisor, political editor, political, whatever you want to call it, Chris knows politics. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Nah, thank you for joining us. Um, Chris and I have talked plenty of times of, of wanting to really reach out and talk more to um, people in politics to figure out what we could do more in the city and it was an amazing opportunity for you to reach out and say that you were interested because it was just timing. It was a straight line timing. So I kind of wanted to get your backstory before we get into what you're running for today and talk about you know how people can really, why people should really get into voting. Um, but before we start, kind of get your backstory. Okay. Well, yes. Hi. And um, hi, everybody. My name is Ira Mir, and I actually was born and raised here in Dallas, Texas. I grew up in North Dallas. I went to school in um, Richardson ISD. Um, and I graduated from Richardson High School in 03. Um, after that, I went to Prairie View A&M University. PV. Yep, you know, PV, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I studied biology and chemistry there. I was a pre-med student, but you know, pretty much like right before I got to senior year, I decided that medicine wasn't the, you know, the way I really wanted to go, even though, I always had a passion for making a change in my community. For me, medicine wasn't what I wanted to do. So I actually stepped into education. Um, I started off as a resident director on campus where I organized you know, our student body, made sure that students had the best uh, campus experience. Um, we talked a lot of, talked about a lot of issues, just like you know, mental health, adjusting to campus life. Um, we also did you know, protests. We would, um, we protested uh, several times against our county that was trying to make us, well, stop us from voting in the county because most of us, you know, moved there from different places in Texas for the most part. Some, some people were even from out of state. So that was the first time I really got into activism, um, protesting against those voting rights or voting restrictions, shall I say. After I left Prairie View, I got into financial aid from there where I was a financial aid counselor, and then I went to University of Houston to do coordinate, do um, financial aid coordinating, where I worked with at-risk students or at-risk communities that usually, you know, student where the student matriculation was lower than the rest of the, you know, city, and I had programs where we encourage students to find their way in college and teach them how they could be able to afford it without having to go into heavy debt. 
because at the time, that's when you know the student loan rate was like picking up, right. and students would just find themselves drowned in you know debt. So we taught students, and we taught about you know responsible you know lending and you know taking out student loans. So from there, um, 2012 hits. There's a teacher shortage, just like there is now, right? <laughs> and the shortage in that time was in science and math and reading. So I, because I had that background in science, I decided to you know, step out of the higher education realm and go into actual secondary education. And I taught STEM for nine years. So yeah, I taught pretty much like every science class you could think of. I taught AP Biology, I taught some chemistry, I taught anatomy for several years, environmental science. And um, um, after I started teaching in Houston, I moved to Atlanta because I decided I wanted to go to law school. So while I was in law school, I was still teaching full time. And that's where I started, you know, that voter registration piece of it. You know, I worked with several different um, campaigns that were running at the time. At that time, it was like John Ossoff running for Congress. Um, we had Keisha Lance Bottoms, who was, you know, running for mayor. And um, being um, a member of Delta Sigma Theta, one of our um, uh, social action um, programs was voter registration. And because I worked in the high schools, um, I was supposed to register as many high school students to get to vote, and then also register their parents and their families. So we, that's where I you know, helped in that sense of getting people registered to vote in Fulton County. So in 2020, you saw how that, you know, all the work that we were doing that time actually came to, came to when people actually was going out and voting because of you know, just the, the uh, situation everybody was in and just really wanting to have that change. So we fast forward to 2018, I finished law school and you know, I decided what's next. So I moved to New York. I went to New York, I taught in Brooklyn for another three years. So BK. Yeah, you know, so <laughs> Brooklyn, you know, Crown Heights, you know, I taught at um, a charter school and I got to see the other side of education. I got to see, you know, how when you are able to utilize your resources in the way that best fits your, you know, student population or your community, what that actually does for students. And in, in that sense, what I did is that I built a robotics program for the students in, um, in Brooklyn so that I could encourage you know, um, underrepresented students in the area of STEM to actually find their place, find an interest, and be able to you know, not be as intimidated in taking on the sciences. And today, th that program is still going, still going strong, and um, I'm excited about that. So after when the pandemic hit, that's what brought me back home. You know, my family started growing. I, my uh, sister started having children, and I wanted to be a part of that. So I came back home, and when I came back home, I noticed that things were still, you know, still not as, still almost the same way I left it when I left back in 2014, you know, shall I say. And you know, people still weren't as engaged in politics. People didn't want to vote. People felt like their vote didn't count. And even if they did vote, you know, nothing was really changing. So I got, you know, I just hit the ground running, you know, getting people registered to vote, having sessions and having community forums where we talked about what's actually going on in our county. Because when I talk, when we talk about politics, we have to look at it at a local level. That's where you get a, the best bang of your buck or the best bang of your vote you know, voting in the local um, elections. So I turned my attention to the commissioner's court 
The commissioner's court is the court that every county has, and they are the executives of what goes on in each county. So when you think of your county hospitals, your county um, health centers, or your county you know, jails, those are all ran by your commissioner courts. And this is an area that a lot of people don't know about. Even for me, it was you know, one of the newer areas. So I learned about how the government, the federal government sent money to us from the CARES Act. And I live in Collin County, they sent us $200 million and 130 million of it was going to a jail to build more beds. You know, so with everything going on and everything we could be spending our money on, our commissioner court decided to spend the money to expand their jail. And right now, as we speak, they're building 420 beds additionally to our um, to the uh, county jail in Collin County. Mind you, we don't have a county hospital. Everybody who lives in Collin County has to go to Parkland, and, um, and that's in Dallas County, which is another issue within itself. And you know, our schools need, you know, they need additional support so they can be able to make sure kids are staying in school and everything like that. So that's what brought me here today to where I'm at running for Congress because it's just time for a change and it's time for us to move a different direction. And I think what, I think what is going to help us move in that direction is having people that understand who we are, looks like us, has been in the same, you know, has been in the same classrooms, same, you know, rooms or whatever the case is that can actually speak to our needs. Gotcha. So that's a very long way of saying, hi, I'm Eero. <laughs> no, for sure. I, I, I love it. I love it. The more you talk, the more I can just sit back, listen, retain this information. So it allows me to process so I can come from a point of, you know, me as an entrepreneur and, you know, as an Afro-Latino in Dallas, when I, when I think of, of politics, I've been programmed to only think about, you know, national presidential elections, mm -hmm. right? I have, I have heard a lot more about you need to be active more in the local level, right? But when, let's get it, people are vain and they're selfish. So how does that benefit us, right? Like, what do we gain, not only from, you know, voting at this local level, but how can the change happen to us by voting in this local level? Yeah, so if you think about a neighborhood that, like, you grow up in, you um like actually yesterday i was driving the street lights are off you know it's dark and you know people want to walk people like to walk in the evenings but it's dark your city council person is able to get somebody to go out there and fix it within less than 24 hours if somebody brings it to their attention you know if there's trash on the streets um same thing when i'm driving you know sometimes trucks drop boxes in the middle of the street you know, a long time ago, there used to be trash cans on the side of the roads. And if you notice now, most of the trash cans are gone. If you call your city council and your city managers, they can, you know, either send somebody out to clean up the neighborhood or they will, you know, put back the um, trash cans if, if enough people say they want to do it. So I say that to say that it's important for us to be involved on the local level, one, because that's the most accessible level of government. Like you literally can pick up a phone, call them, and somebody's gonna answer it, and you could talk to them directly as if you're calling AT&T trying to figure out what's going on with your phone bill, right? So, and you can get things done. And um, it's also important because they need to know we're here. A lot of times people make decisions because they think we don't care. You know, we complain about it on Twitter, Instagram, and um, Facebook. Now people are using TikTok, right? <laughs> but we complain about it there, but 
it's just us complaining to each other and hollering at each other and you know exactly but there's a group of people that you can actually go to and talk to directly to let them know how you feel even if you're not going to the city council um, offices you can send them an email you can shoot them a text message for some of them it I think in some offices they've actually advanced to where you can actually text their offices now and they will receive the message and be able to pass it along you know I know there's a couple of city council members in um, the uh, Collin County area that have those I'm not sure if everywhere but they do have those abilities for you to be able to access them and even on the um, even outside of City Council your judges if you've ever heard somebody getting a crazy, outrageous um, sentence, that's because we didn't elect, because the judge that was elected wasn't elected by the people who they're gonna be judging, you know? Because we're not participating as much as we should, you know? And the thing is, even though there are some people that do regularly vote, it can't be just a few. It has to be the majority because that's who wins, the majority. But if the majority of us aren't participating, that's, that small minority will continue to you know, overrule what's going on because they are the ones who are actually participating. And I found out like um, two weeks ago on another show when I was talking to some of my colleagues that we actually have the most people of color here in Texas. And like you, when you look at the percentage, of course percentage rise is always that 10, 13, 12, 20% that you see. But when you talk about raw numbers, we have the most number of people of color in the state of Texas. So even if we decide to all come together and you know make some type of movement, we would see so much change like pretty much overnight and it doesn't have to take years to see these changes. It just has to take everybody coming together and actually showing up to vote. So that's why this 2022 election is really important because if we want to, like those promises that Joe Biden and everybody has been making, if we want to see, the, see it come to life, then we got to put the people in place to be able to help them get the legislation to him. Like you have people right now that are purposely blocking everything that, you know, has been promised by electing Joe Biden. And then it makes him look bad because he's not able to gain the bills passed because he doesn't have a legislate, legislation there to support some of those political promises because they've promised their people other things. So that is really important for us to be involved in all levels, but specifically on the local level because that is what determines our day-to-day and -day you know, how we live life. So for clarity, you're not really running for a local uh, position though. You're running for a U.S. House of Representatives, which is local representation in the House. Um, but why District 4? I mean, it's a very red area. Um, it, it reaches out to East Texas. Um, you're, you grew up in Richardson and you live in Collin County and only a portion of Collin County is represented in, in District 4. And you're running as a Democrat with the tide turning where they expect a bloodbath in the 2022 midterm. Yes, so why District 4? So why District 4 is because that's my community now. So with the whole redistricting, my community and my precinct got drawn into District 4. And yes, it's, it's said to be very red and everything, but I think it's time for us to challenge that theory because I think the reason why it's only red is because those are the only people who are voting. Like right now, Texas ranks number 37 out of 50 states when it comes to voter turnout. When you look at the voter turnout numbers, it's always less than 50% across the board. So half, so the decisions that you're seeing 
aren't really being made by the people who actually live in Texas. So even though Texas, people like to say Texas is a conservative state, I like to say Texas is a non-voting state. Because even when you pull the numbers and you pull the, um, the, pull the records from each county, including Collin County, Denton County, Grayson, and, all, and these other counties that are part of District 4, you see that the numbers are there. If every, and it will be theoretically, if every person who was to vote, that was supposed to vote, the county would actually be blue, or that district would actually be blue. But what has been happening is that you have low voter turnout, you also have um, people that are usually Democrats feeling like they don't, like they're going back to, the, like their vote wouldn't count or it wouldn't make a difference. So they don't put that much time t into it. And you also have just the, it, this, it, this is how it's always been type of mentality. You know, it's always been this way. It's always been red. But I think it's a time for us to like, you know, step into this challenge and really see and really test to see is it really a conservative, um, conservative area because when you travel around, you see that even some of the conservatives aren't really, you know, really conservatives in the way that they think they are because they want some of the, they want a lot of things that benefit all Americans. So what data do you use that says that it would go blue because uh, independents are the largest voting block and then when it comes to a racial standpoint, if, if we were to just assume that minorities vote Democrat and white people vote Republican, which I know is not the case, mm -hmm. but District 4 is like 70% white. Mm -hmm. so, so what makes you think that they would go blue? So the thing is, is that even, even if we did say like that, you would be trivializing the political views of all people. You can't really just say that because somebody is white, they're automatically going to run Oh, of course. You, right? right. And if you go into the set with that mindset, you're going to run your campaign like that, and you will limit who you would be reaching out to. Same thing with people of color. If you think that all people of color are going to vote Democrat, you'll be sadly mistaken because, you know, racially, people are not monoliths. Political-wise, we're not monolithic, you know, and the independent group, just like you mentioned, are our greatest group. And depending on who is in office or who is running, they're going to pick whoever is qualified. And that's what makes me the better candidate because I am qualified. I'm a, I'm a Texan. I am an educator. I've worked on government projects. I know how to keep budgets balanced. I'm able to work with people and bring people to the middle, regardless of what their um, background is, whether it's racially, uh, work-wise, socioeconomic, because you know I've just been around and I'm a people's person. And this type of job requires somebody who understands and is empathetic to the needs of the people and can actually speak to it. So as I go around and as I meet people, I don't, um, and I think the first question is, where am I getting this data from? So text, we have this database called VAN. VAN is a, um, a complete voter database that collects all the information of people who are registered to vote. So if you've ever voted in an election, if you've ever, even if you haven't voted in an election, there is like a complete database that tracks all this information. And when I look at the numbers, what I usually pull are information of people who are, you know, very democratic, maybe moderately democratic, meaning that they either, they may, they usually vote mostly democrat, but they'll vote other people as well. And then people who usually lean that way, meaning that you could be an independent, but you know, usually on your voting ballot, you, you know, tend to vote more, vote for more democratic candidates as opposed to, you know, like Republican candidates. 
So that information there, using that, and then just people who are undecided, because you have those people that are just completely undecided, is usually like 50-50, because some people are like, I'm going to choose X number of Democrats, I'm going to choose an equal number of Republicans, and that's how they decide to vote, you know? So you have those people that are considered undecided. And with undecided people, that is an opportunity there for me to be able to go in there, figure out what it is that they need, and figure out how I can be able to be that type of representative for them. And even with um, conservatives, I've met plenty of conservatives who I've been able to convince to like support me in the election because I offer something that they are looking for, which is, you know, so, like I say, somebody who's knowledgeable, somebody who's courageous, somebody who's not afraid to step up, and somebody who knows who they are. Because, you know, even though I'm here in Texas, where I've told people that I'm not going to be, I'm not going to switch up when I get to, you know, Washington, D.C. And with it being a federal position, it's still considered, I still consider it like local in a sense because most of the resources that we use come from the federal government. So we need somebody who's going to be voting on those resources or voting for those resources to come directly to our community because if you actually travel up there into the Northeast Texas, it's a lot of things that people need, like the Wi-Fi is um, is needed, or you know, broadband is needed. They need new roads. Some people are still living in like houses that are running on, you know, like on uh, generators. You know, you got schools that are in place that have that were built prior to say um, integration. You know, and they don't have ACs. They don't have HVACs. And if you and for me, I think it's to think that they will continue to vote for somebody who's voting against their needs, especially when they have an opportunity to vote for somebody who understands what they need, regardless of what side it is. I think that's what's going to be the benefit, because we're going to be turning out new voters, we're going to be reaching out to the ones that are already there, and we're going to make sure people actually show up and vote. So we're going to test to see if Texas is really a conservative state. And if it's really conservative, that means if we get about a 65% turnout and Republicans are still winning, then I will concede to say, okay, Texas is a conservative state and I'll roll my eyes while I'm doing it. <laughs> well, I think it's more so, depends on what part of Texas. Um, have you gotten any, any pushback considering you, you gave us your bio? It seems like you've been gone for Texas for a while. Do, mm -hmm. do people feel like they can't, they can't trust you because you haven't been here to experience their, their plight? So... I think when I meet with people, I think people are actually kind of surprised that I've been out that to those many places. So it's, it hasn't been something where it's been a um, a downer for me, or whatever the case is, or something that you know is a like a blemish on my record. And people understand when I let them know that it's because I wanted to you know grow my career and I was looking for different opportunities. And when I explain it to them in that way, they understand because most of them are parents. They understand when their kids decide to go out, you know, explore the world, and then come back. So, um, and then I have to remind people that I'm not as young as I look, right? <laughs> so I'm 37, right? And I've been in Texas for like 30 years. I've only left for about seven years of the time. So for a majority of my life, I was here. I grew up here. I was, you know, I went to school here. Um, most of my education is, you know, a Texas-based education. And even when I went to other states, I always represented Texas. Everybody always knew me as the Texas girl, you know? As soon as I would open my mouth and say, how y'all doing? They're like, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> so, you know, and I have lots of different <laughs> nicknames that people gave me that were Texas-based. 
So even though I wasn't like, what's that song? All uh, Harley Home, but always rapping. Oh yeah, Harley Home. That was definitely <laughs> me, you know. So yeah. <laughs> now, um, so I do want to ask this because you're talking about numbers earlier. So what is, I guess, the the voter turnout for African Americans right now in, I guess, Dallas County or uh, in Dallas? Okay, so the voter turnout in Dallas County. Um, I'm not actually. I'm not specifically, I don't know those numbers, so I don't want to quote a number. But what I will say is that in um, overall, because the numbers I did look over, was um, in the 2018 election, right, where Beto was running against uh, Ted Cruz. The uh, total number of people that um, turned out to vote was 200,000 people, or whatever the case is. So it was, uh, wait, yeah, it was 200,000. And then, no, sorry, he lost by 200,000 votes, sorry. So the number of votes that actually Beto lost by was 200,000 votes. But nearly 6 million people didn't vote. You know, so that kind of gives you a sense of where we are in the voter turnout, you know. So we have a lot of room. There's a lot of growth. Like, honestly, right now, with the numbers as it is, even if we didn't register another person to vote, right, which we're not gonna do, but even if we didn't, we still have a lot of people who don't vote right now that we still need to get out to start voting or you know, get back into voting because some people have said that they have opted out of voting altogether. You know, So when it comes to the voter turnout, you know, within the com communities, of, uh, communities of color, especially our community, the black community, our voter turnout is low. It's not where it needs to be and because if we were to, if we were turning out to vote, then people will be talking about it, and they but they do see our numbers increasing. So from the 2018 to 2020, you saw a dramatic shift in the number of um, people that voted, which was good because it helped you know Joe Biden get into office. It helped you know several people who were running in office get I mean running for office to be able to keep their um, state seats. And we also saw a shift in, you know, some of the um, city council races where more Democrats and younger people were um, turning out and being able to win their elections. Even in this past uh, special election that happened in 2021, we had several new people, newcomers that were, you know, unseating incumbents. Like in Grand Prairie, you have Junior Zwanu, who was able to unseat a 11-year incumbent. And he graduated from college the week before he won his seat, you know? So, and his thing was voter turnout, knocking on doors, letting people know, hey, there's somebody here, I wanna run, I wanna represent you, things like that. So it's, a, it's lots of ways we can be able to increase our engagement, but the first thing has to be like, you know, being registered because they also have passed a lot of these restrictive rules when it comes to voting and you know registering. And right now, there's even an article that just went out saying that they don't have enough paper to print voter registration cards. But don't worry, guys, I have voter registration <laughs> cards. So if you need some, I'll get you registered. And, and I think for my POV, one thing too is, I feel like for, I feel like sometimes there's a, there's a disconnect, right? Mm -hmm. Like I feel like um, they're not, I don't wanna, they're not campaigning to speak to you know the, the younger generation because like only time i really see uh campaigning is if i'm looking for it or unless somebody draws it to my attention so where do you feel like from both perspectives that you know our community should do better at seeking into where you know politicians do better at campaigning or integrating themselves into the community and it doesn't have to be 
sometimes people, you know, go completely left to do something off brand to gain attention, but maybe partnering with organizations like, hey, you reached out today, you know, we have, you know, a black and brown community of entrepreneurs, business owners that, you know, seek information. So this is an opportunity for you to share, you know, your story with our platform, but I don't feel like a lot of politicians do that equally spread out to even get their voice heard. And, you know, there's age gap as well, too. So where do you feel like both sides can do better at? Yeah. All right. So I'll start from the voter side, right? On the voter side, what we have to do is that we have to make voting a habit. It has to be just like we do our car registration, like the same way we make sure that we do our yearly or annual checkups. If we're not, make sure you do because you need to. You know, so we have to make voting a habit. We have to just be on the lookout that there's going to be some type of election going on, and we just have to know that on that on our end, right? And we also have to want to be engaged, even though it may not be popular and it may not be as live as all the other things that we like to do. We have to know that it's something that we have to engage in because it impacts literally everything that happens in our lives, the decisions that are made, the rules that regulate the way we move around this world. We have to be engaged and we have to be involved because we pay taxes. You know, like, if they're taking money out your, t your check, that means you are a vested member of this community, and you should be making, helping make the decision as how the money is going to be spent, you know? So that's just that on our end. When it comes to candidates and when it comes to um, what politicians can do, being a, being a candidate now, I understand why people just kind of just overlook it because it's so much. People are just overwhelmed and you have to get a team together and the, the resources are limited and, you know, it costs a lot to reach out to people. So I do see why some candidates are like, well, I'm going to go to the communities that I know are going to vote because that's the best place for me to use our, the money. But then we end up with races where people are losing by 200. 300, 500 votes or, you know, 200,000 votes or whatever the case is because we weren't reaching out to those communities and they didn't know that there was an election going on and they didn't even know you. And even if they did know there was, there was an election going on, you didn't reach out to them to let them know that you wanted their vote and ask them for it. And they won't show up either, you know? So I think, and what I push for, is that we have to start going into our communities. We have to start going into our apartment complexes. Like, um, doing block walks, when I think back to being a kid, and I lived in an apartment all my life, and um, nobody ever knocked on our doors. I never saw a, a, a canvasser before. I never saw campaign signs unless they were on major streets or major roads that were highly condensed around like business areas, you know? So we have to, you know, be intentional about going into our communities because they want to see us. They want to know that you really are this person. It's not just somebody you see on a picture or on a sign. So, um, but it also requires going back to us as voters, if you are engaged and you know, like just helping out, like little things help. Like for instance, if you know somebody who's running and you support them, let your neighbors know that you support them. Tell them, hey, did you get a chance to vote? If it's an elderly person or somebody who's, um, who has a mobility limitation and you know they can't get to the ballot, like ask them, hey, are you gonna vote? Do you wanna do a mail-in ballot? Let me help you, you know, get your stuff together or you know, you can ride with me to the poll because I'm gonna go. And another thing I wanna tell, especially for parents, 
take your kids with you to go vote. You know, like a lot of people want to keep their kids out of politics, but you can't because it's around them, right? It's like almost trying to say that you're not going to teach sex education or whatever and just hope that once they get grown, they won't make, you know, a, make a mistake or be, won't be engaged. So you want to bring your kids along with you and show them the importance of, you know, being engaged in politics and what that looks like, you know? So I have several friends that have children that they say they literally bring their kids everywhere. Like even when they're block walking, their, their kids are with them. When they're putting up signs, their kids are with them so they can see the example. And then when they get older, because they've been doing it all their lives, it's not intimidating, it's not scary. And for them, it will also encourage more people to want to participate on the candidate side. And I, and I think that's the last part of what would get people more engaged. Like if you are a leader and you have a passion to want to represent your people, run for office. Like right now I'm running for Congress, not just because like it's you know, I just want to run and be a candidate and, you know, be in an election, but because I want to represent my people that live in the, those areas of Collin County. You know, life for us in that side of Collin County isn't the same for the, somebody who lives on the opposite side of Collin County. You know, some of us in Collin County live in very rural areas. Some of us live in, like, you know, high-dense areas, you know. So I want to represent that, and I also want to represent the other people that need those help. And I know I can do it because, you know, I, I see myself as a natural-born leader, you know. And if if you feel like that or if you feel that way and you have the knowledge, like, step up, you know, because they want to see more candidates. And the more we see new candidates and we see people our age, you know, stepping into this realm is going to catch the attention of a lot of people. And then people are going to be involved because now they want to represent, they want to support you and or, you know, support you or me in, you know, reaching this um, accomplishment because a win for us, for me, is a win for everybody. Right. It's a win for women. It's a win for, you know, millennials. It's a win for, you know, it's a win for parents who want to see changes in their schools and want to stop living check to check, you know? So that's what we can do so that we can, you know, increase the engagement in politics. How do you combat voter cynicism? Because everything sounds good until people get to Washington and then once they get there, nothing changes. They become part of the, the club. So how do you combat that? Want to be so, in a club? Yeah, so that's... The cynicism goes along with, you know, what does it look like, right, from top to bottom. So if I'm here on the federal level, right, and I, and I win, or whatever the case is, and I'm able to, like, go into Washington and get these things passed, because the movement is already going in that way, you know, supporting families, supporting people. But then when you look at your state representatives, if they're on the opposite, if they, if your state representatives aren't aligned with what I'm trying to do at the top, even by bringing the resources, if it, if the state doesn't approve it, it's not going to work. For instance, prime example, um, the Affordable Health Care Act. People don't understand. People ask, well, why don't we have health care in Texas? That's because the state senate and the state of legislature rejected it. They literally the money. Like, imagine the U.S. giving you a um, a uh, suitcase full of money to be able to help your health care. They're like, here, this is the money you can use for health care. The state of Texas pushed it back and said, no, nah, we don't want it. Why would they do that? Exactly. Why would you do that? But isn't you know? that a failure in the federal legislation? Why, how, why, why would you say think it's a failure in the federal legislation? Because the federal government offered it. 
the state legislation rejected. And then what the federal government does is, okay, you don't want it, we take the money back and we reallocate it to the uh, states that want it. Mind you, we're the ones who, we're still paying into the system regardless. So it's like, literally, we took, we, they took the money that was you know, allocated for Texas, they said no, they don't want it, so the money goes back and it gets redistribute, redistributed to like other states that actually said they need it. So if you have somebody, if you have somebody at the federal level working for the state, but the people at the state level ain't working for the state, that doesn't help, you know? So it's like we're doing all this work, but then you don't want you don't want it. That's why you have to have an alignment all the way down the ballot from your federal government all the way to your justice of peace. You know, everybody has to be aligned. So that's why it's important for all of us to be engaged and for all of us to vote the entire ballot. So um, even if it, if it was a, a presidential year, some people just go in and vote for the president and then leave. They don't vote for the rest of the ballot. So you just miss the opportunity to be able to make sure that the, um, the team that the president needs to be able to get the job done, you didn't participate in that part. You just, you just selected the president. Same thing if you just um, um, select your U.S. representative. If you don't select everybody else at the bottom of the ticket, then you're only putting one, plate, one piece in place to get an overall job done that requires several levels of government. Well, I have my own critiques of the ACA. It's a totally different conversation. <laughs> but I think they could have cut out the middleman. They could have. It could have been directly through the federal. But that's a different discussion. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I and I mean, at the same time, I mean, that narrow. That also narrows the uh, debate because, personally, I'm in favor of universal health care. Cut out the, the insurance companies. But again, that's another yeah, conversation. You know? Hey, I think when we get, we should definitely come back and talk about that as well because I definitely, little. yeah, you know, and it's just like we have to, when it comes to different levels of government, your federal government is responsible for, you know, allocating taxpayer money. So literally what they do is that they take all the money that the people are paying in taxes and they make sure that it gets distributed to all the states. The states are supposed to take the money make sure that they you know budget make sure they know what to do with the money they send it to the counties the counties get the money they make sure that they go through their budget and then they send it to the cities then the cities are supposed to come figure out what and then get the jobs done you know so that's how money is supposed to move or taxpayer money is supposed to move throughout and then of course you have well texas is luckily one of the states that doesn't have state taxes but you know if you have other states that do charge state taxes and they use the money to be able to fund additional programs within their states, you know? So there is a flow of order how the money's supposed to go, but if you have the wrong people in place or you have people in place that don't want to utilize the money the correct way, remember I told you at the beginning, Collin County got $200 million of the CARES Act. Remember, this is money for COVID. And it went, they took 67% of it and sent it to a prison. But be, and the only reason why is because you have a commissioner's court that's all Republican, and they literally think that people don't need it because everybody in Collin County is quote unquote rich, you know, or everybody in Collin County is doing well. But that's not the case in every, for everybody. But there, we have a lot of people that have businesses Business, a lot of businesses didn't get the money they were supposed to be getting to keep their um, doors open. You have a lot of people right now who have limited access to health care because, like I said, Collin County doesn't have 
a medical facility. We don't have a, hosp a county hospital. So they have to travel to Parkland Hospital to get health, you know, to get um, affordable health care unless they go to one of these private hospitals where, you know, the price is going to be a little more expensive. And most of those hospitals are out of network with people's insurance, you know, so they're paying higher co-pays or whatever the case is. And then you also have, you know, the schools. Our schools look nice, but just having a nice building doesn't mean that the school is operational on the inside. You know, you have kids like Collin County had one of the highest, you know, spread of COVID amongst the students. You know, students were like going home in like boatloads and stuff because they were sick. Well, some parents are still sending their kids back to school, but that's a different discussion or whatever the case is. But, you know, there was, th we could have used some of that money to be able to make sure our kids were in place or give everybody N95 masks or give, you know, the additional like Wi-Fi hotspots so people who didn't have Wi-Fi at home could have Wi-Fi. Like when we start, when we started the COVID, when COVID first started or whatever in New York, like kids were getting hotspots. Like the school was giving them hotspots because they, they knew their parents didn't have Wi-Fi. We literally asked every single parent, asked um, all the families, do you have Wi-Fi? Do you have a laptop? If they said no to either one, we provided it. And that is something that the county should have been doing, you know, within our schools, but they want to send the money to I mean, I was born in New York, so I already kind of biased because I know New York education. Well, in my opinion, New York education is, is ahead of Texas education, but, you know, that's just my yeah. personal opinion. Um, well, I have to ask you this because you mentioned earlier about, you know, people that want to get involved or innovators, leaders, um, that they should, you know, get into to politics, right? But since you're in it, kind of walk us through for our audience what that process is like. I know it's Google information, yeah. but while they're watching, it's kind of like if they, if they spark interest and, like, you know, maybe... I want to look look deeper into it and get started. Kind of walk us into how does somebody even start to get started, where they go. Um, okay. Just kind of like give us that blueprint. Yeah, so it's real easy. Like, it literally, it's so easy to get involved in politics. So the first thing you want to do is, like, you got to figure out what it is that you want. Like, what is it that you feel like you want to change, right? For me, education is um, something that's huge to me. Also, healthcare, our infrastructure. Those are the things I care about, justice reform. Those are what I advocate for. So you gotta figure out what you wanna advocate for, and then you wanna be involved in your community. So um, each city, each county has a Democratic or Republican party or independent party, you know? So there are organizations there where you can join, usually for free or for a small fee. And um, also I like to tell people like join, join um, different organizations that are in the community. Like for me, I'm a Delta, so I'm part of, you know, I, I attend meetings throughout, you know, our counties and, you know, I also visit other chapters. Um, I'm part of like the NAACP. I'm part of the uh, Collin County Black Chamber of Commerce. Um, I'm a member of Collin County Young Dems. Like I'm just a member of different community organizations. And um, that's the way that you get into your community because you gotta meet people, you gotta know who's who, you gotta know what's like what's already there. So you, you know, you get immerse yourself in your own community. And if there's something that's not there, you pull you pull an organization together. You know, you can create your own small organization. And then you start to talk to people. You talk to your neighbors, you talk to your friends, your church members, and figure out what do people want to change. You know, so that's how you start building up a platform because you want your platform not to be just about you. You want your platform to be inclusive of all the needs of people so that, you know, your platform speaks 
to you know the majority because that's how you're going to get people to want to support you or give you feedback on what what they need so they can be able to feel like they can support you so you get to that part the next thing is like you decide you want to run you see if you meet, meet the qualifications if you go to the secretary the texas secretary of state and that's across the board so no matter which state you're in everybody has a secretary of state office and you're going to go into the elections section and you look up the candidate information. In Texas, we have a list of all the positions that are available for people to run, and they're gonna tell you what the requirements are. For most of them, you have to be at least 18 years old, you have to be a registered voter, and yeah, some of them you have to live in a district, right? So some of them you have to live in a district. If it's a statewide, you just have to be a member, you know, be somewhere in Texas. If it's like city council, if if it says like city council place something, like place one, place two, that means you have to live directly in that area. If it's a member at large, that means you just need to live in the city, you know, because you're gonna represent the entire you know, city or whatever. So like for instance, Dallas um, City Council, they have some that are certain places, they have some that are members at large, right? So same thing like Mesquite, um, Plano, all these different cities, they have their own city council. Um, then once you realize you, you know, meet those qualifications, like for instance, I found out like attorney general, you don't have to go to law school. So some of these positions, you don't even have to go to law school. Like you could be a like, uh, like a county judge, you don't have to be a law student. You don't have to have a law degree to be a county judge. You just have to be at least 18 years old and be a registered voter and live in that county to be a judge. So like people who are coming out of high school, if you feel like you have the qualification and you're ready and you can prove that to other people, you can, you can mess around and win a position. You know, we do have very young members of office that are, you know, that are new that have won seats before. I believe in Texas to be a state uh, to be a uh, state house rep, you may have to be at least 18. To be a senator, you have to be like, like 21 or 25. But if you go online, it'll tell you exactly what it is, right? All the, the all the um, things are there. With this last um, election that happened in November, they changed a couple of the rules on the requirements for um, some of the positions in the Constitution in the Texas Constitution, so some of them will be updating, but most of it is the same. Then you decide you wanna run, or whatever the case is, you have to file. So it's an application that simply asks you for your name, your address, what do you do, and then you, you swear an oath that you're going to you know, do your best and you know, be ethical in how you run, and you get it notarized. Um, most of them have a filing fee so you also will have to um, pay a filing fee. Or you can, you can go past the filing fee by getting signatures. So if you um, don't have the money for it, that's never should be an issue of why you don't run because you can always get petitions signed. Now the petitions are very specific because you have to make sure that they live in the area of where you wanna run and they, that they are also registered to vote. So you can only get registered voters to sign your petition that live in the area. So if you ever see somebody who has like a clipboard and they ask you to sign a paper because somebody's running, that's what they're doing because they don't want to pay the fee or whatever. But if you don't have time to, you know, it depends on what it is. So like for instance, if you're running for governor, it's like 3,700. 
um, for Congress is um, 3125. Um, if you're running for um, like city, if you're running for like commissioner, I think it's about 700. And like each city has their own fees. Some of them don't have any fees. And the ver- you know? um, does the number of signatures vary as well? Um, usually, if it's a um, if it's a, depending on it, it's going to either be 500 um, signatures or it could be like a percentage of the total number of people that voted in the previous governor election. But they, that information is also available once you get to that point. And then when you um, follow, you let everybody know. You start re- you start letting everybody know. You put your team together. It's like building a business. You get a team together. You get you know your volunteers. You have meetings. You you know start reaching out to people. And you want to be creative about how you're you know reaching out and letting people know. And um, one of the rules that we like to use is that when you decide to run for office, you want to reach out to your voters at least five times. And you want to reach out to them in different ways, whether it's you knocking on the door, making a phone call, texting them, you know, sending them a mailer that you get in the mail, or you know, whatever other creative way. It could be one of the other ones that you repeat, you know. So you want to make sure that you let you're letting them know, and you're reminding them, and you're like in the front of their minds, so that on election, when um, election comes, you are getting people mobilized to get out and vote. Because that's where it really matters. So, like, it doesn't matter how much money you raise. It doesn't matter how much, you know, how much people say they want to vote for you. They actually need to go vote. That's why you see some people that will outraise candidates but still lose. And you see people who um, are the opposite, where they don't raise enough money. And they, and they win, you know? Like, perfect example, Barack Obama was somebody who... He didn't raise as much money as John McCain when he ran the first time, but he still won. And he didn't even get endorsements from some of the major political, you know, uh, people that were giving endorsements. Like, I believe, like, New York Times didn't even endorse him, you know? But he still won. So, like, regardless of all that, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is the vote. And you're trying to figure out how can you get somebody to get up out there, get up out of whatever they're doing, and put time in their schedule to vote for you. And, you know, hopefully if you are one of those candidates like me, you also want to make sure that you vote for other people that you support, too, so that we can all be one big, you know, uh, class of candidates that go into our different respective seats and we can get jobs done. So, um, yeah, it's room for every, it's room for everybody. You know, every seat is, nobody owns a seat. None of these seats belong to anybody. It doesn't belong to a certain um, generation. It doesn't belong to a certain class of people. It doesn't belong to the rich. It doesn't belong to the poor. These seats are for Americans and for people who want to represent their people or their communities, right? So you have to you know, see yourself in it, and you have to be able to talk to the people and get them to come out and vote. So that is how we get people. But it's actually the hardest thing. Getting people to, you know, actually want to be engaged is hard because there's so much other things going on around us. It's like working out. You know, it's like you want to do it, but once you get in the habit, it becomes easy. But for some people, it's like trying to get into the habit of, you know, voting all the time and knowing when to vote and who to vote because it does take time. But that's why it's important for those people who it matters to, to organize, you know, and make it easy for people so they can get out. So, yes. And I will say this, because you stressed the importance of voting, which I'm glad 
the audience gets to hear. But now it's kind of shine light on you. So for those watching this, they're ready to vote. Kind of tell us how they can support you. Um, when's voting? Uh, share all this information. This is this is their turn to you know talk about you and you know how they can support you. Yeah, so I definitely appreciate everybody's support, and there's different ways to support. So the first thing, voting dates. Um, as you mentioned, I actually do not have a primary candidate, which means that in the primaries, which starts on Valentine's Day, February 14th, that's the first day you can start voting in the primaries. Um, everybody who votes on the Democratic ticket and actually selects me, I will be the only candidate for Congressional 4. There are other congressional races going on in Dallas. You have um, Congressional 30, which is a very contested seat. You have 32, which is um, up in parts of Dallas as well. And um, there's a lot of other um, districts. So if you go online, go to vote411.org, you can find out where your you know seats are and who's your on your candidate, who's um, your candidates, or whatever the case is. Um, follow me on Instagram or Twitter. Um, my, my Instagram name is ZeroGamaTX. That's I-R-O-G-H-A-M-A-T-X. Definitely give me a follow. You know, engage. You know, reach out to me. You can send me messages. I respond. And um, you can also go to my website, www.omirforcongress.com. And if you have, definitely, like, one thing, another thing is, like, fundraising. Fundraising is important, even though it doesn't matter how much you raise, but you do want to raise some money so that you can be able to get the message out, do advertising, get, like, print material, buy signs, all those things. So definitely, if you have anything you like to donate, it doesn't matter how big or small, um, $5 all the way up to $2,900. <laughs> <laughs> You can donate that online. I do have an Act Blue page. Um, you can mail um, your payments or ma mail your um, donations to our campaign office. And all that information is on my website. So we definitely would, those are the three main ways. And then also volunteer. We have virtual phone banks, so no matter where you are in the country or in the world, you can always help us phone bank or text bank. Um, if you are actually on the grounds here in Dallas or in Collin County and you would like to like, you know, block walk with us or, you know, attend some of our events, definitely love to have you because all of our events are open to the public and we love to have, you know, members of the community there. Nah, thank you. I thank you for your time. Thank, thank you for you. joining us. Thank you for sharing this information. Thank you for Chris for popping in and being our uh, spearheading this political conversation. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, you guys definitely have her website, her Instagram, Twitter. Please give her a follow. Show your support. Show your love. Your donation. Uh, we at Cosign, Cosign Arrow. And as always, please continue living Cosign life. Hey, guys. What's good? Thanks for supporting Cosign Magazine by watching this video. If you really enjoyed this content, please subscribe, like, comment, and share.